All right, all right. Hey, thanks for being here. Welcome, everyone. So glad you could join us here this morning. It is a good morning to be together. Hey, uh, this is Steve, and Steve, his wife, Wynette, and a team recently went to Kenya um, on a mission trip. Uh, Steve's going to tell us just briefly about that trip and then invite anyone that w- would like to uh, to an, ev- an event on Tuesday night in which he's going to be showing slides and telling a lot more about that trip. But tell us a little bit about what you guys did and uh, what's happening on Tuesday as well. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. So um, this trip last October was my third time to be to Kenya in a year. So I've I've gotten very involved with uh, a nonprofit, a Christian-based nonprofit that's that's working with the poorest of the poor in rural Kenya, the people that the big nonprofits typically don't go to because they're hitting the large cities and other areas where the populations are. These are people that are living on less than a dollar a day, um, surviving. Some of them. They're not even all surviving. And this group I'm involved with is, is uh, I'm really just very excited. It's not just giving charity to the people. It's empowering and training and getting infrastructure in place so that, so that the people can, can improve their standard of living. It's really empowering the people, so we love it. So Wynette and I both went in October. This was her first trip there. It was an amazing trip. We um, had three primary focuses. We reached out to the teens in the high schools. Um, first time anything like that had been done. In fact, largely in the Christian community, the teens have kind of been overlooked to a large extent. And uh, and so we went into 14 different high schools in three days. They closed the schools. The teens came out. We talked to them in large group and then small group and, and personal interaction with them, got to share the gospel with them. It was, it was fantastic. And then we um, had a leadership seminar for government, um, school, and, and church leadership. And then the third thing was... Uh, a campaign or a crusade, the kind of things Billy Graham used to do in the States, uh, which is not very effective now in the States, but there it's fantastic. So um, all we want to do is invite anyone that would like to to come to our house Tuesday night at 6.30. Um, we'll have pulled pork and pulled chicken, and you can make burritos or sandwiches out of them or whatever, uh, a nice little meal to share and fellowship, and then we'll just spend a few minutes and kind of tell you a little more, show you some pictures about what went on there, just because it's exciting to see what God's doing in another part of the world. So uh, if you'd like to come, please do bring bring family and friends. Um, It would be a little helpful if you plan to come to give us a heads up so that we kind of know how much to prepare. But thank you. All right, thank you. That's exciting stuff. An incredible trip. I've seen some of the picture, pictures and heard some of the conversation, and uh, God is doing amazing things in Kenya and throughout the world. Again, we want to welcome everyone here this morning. Um, excited uh, for for just where we're at in process. Uh, if, if you're newer with us here today, um, we are about one year into this church planting journey. We just celebrated our one year anniversary, and we are excited to be a faith community with just a distinct desire to create a place of belonging 
belonging in which anyone can explore who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. That's the journey that we're on. We believe that God's mission uh, defines us as a church, that God's good mission of restoring right relationship between himself and humanity and amongst humanity uh, is, is, is what defines us, and, and we are invited into this community as agents of God's missions, as partners with God in bringing about help and healing in our community. We feel so blessed to be a part of that. It's been remarkable. Just last week, Jake Deanhill, um, our, our finance director, got up and shared um, about how uh, where $16,000 from our church has gone to helping different causes and organizations and partnering with people. We had an organization rebuilding together. Mid-Columbia came last week and shared. Um, we, the Vine Church, were the, the first partners of their new organization and shared about the three families that were helped. So it's incredible to be on this journey. And I want to say thank you uh, to all, the, all of you that have been involved. Uh, we truly believe God is beginning something good and, and, and something beautiful is happening just in this nucleus in the beginning of what's happening here. So today, uh, we are four Sundays before Christmas, and that begins what some of you might know as the Advent season. This is the first time um, uh, as a a church we've gotten to consider sharing this. Advent is a part of the liturgical calendar, and and that's a big word, a very formal word that some of you might be familiar with, but it simply refers to a series of readings and and focus throughout the year that some churches use uh, to kind of lay out and ensure they have hit major topics of Christianity over the course of the year. And, And Advent is a particular month, a four-week series um, in, in that calendar in which we remember uh, and, and, and anticipate the coming of Jesus. So uh, we, we, for four weeks, prepare ourselves and anticipate the coming of Jesus in, in his birth. Uh, also during this series, we remember and anticipate that Jesus is coming again. And, and we, we dream about and we live into uh, this, this better story for creation, right? This story that, that begin with Jesus uh, in, in a new kingdom that has come to earth in which um, uh, the marginalized and the outcast are elevated, a place in which God reigns, Jesus reigns, and justice and goodness is accomplished. You know, we live in a, in a world uh, so, so full of, of hurt and brokenness, right? A, a world in which slavery and racism still exist, a, a world in in which violence and, and refugee crises are, are uh, you know, ravaging nations and, and the world, uh, a world in which death and decay so often, uh, you know, are at our doorstep. And yet Advent is a season in which we wait expectantly, in which we think forward to the coming of Jesus, in which we live into uh, the fact that Jesus has come, that a child was born, and, and that something has begun that is restoring this world, that is bringing about good and right relationships. So uh, we celebrate today, the first day of Advent, with um millions of Christians across the world. Um, and, and the first day of Advent typically focuses on um, kind of in, in the story of Scripture and the unfolding of the Messiah of Jesus uh, begin with the prophecies, right? Uh, the prophets like a man named Isaiah. So throughout the world, people are reflecting today on, um, on this man Isaiah and what he said of the Christ to come. 
of what he said of, of the birth of the son and the hope of the world. And so today we, we, um, we resonate with Isaiah, with the prophecies about a hope to come. Today is, is about hope. Let's pray and then we're gonna read from Isaiah chapter nine after that. But let's pray over scripture before we begin. Father, thank you for this day and this time. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear uh, what you have for us. Father, soften our hearts um, uh, to be moldable that through your word today that you will speak to us, that you will um, bring um, a a message of of blessing and change, that you will open our eyes to hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9. Let's read together. Nevertheless, uh, there, will, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee and the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. So I, Isaiah, this prophet, do we have the wrong one up there? Okay, we'll, we'll get it corrected. We're in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, if you have a Bible or want to pull it up on your phone. Um, so it's this man, Isaiah, speaking, and he's speaking to the Israelite nation in a very dark time. The Israelite nation um, is, uh, is, is in exile. They no, no longer ruling their nation. They've turned their backs on God, and they're experiencing the absence of God's blessing as a nation, and, and they're in a dark and hurting place. And so Isaiah speaks in uh, to this culture. This is some 700 years before Christ, so some 2,700 years ago. Uh, Isaiah is speaking to a nation who is hurting and broken, but he's saying where there was was darkness, there will be light. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 2. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They're rejoicing before you as people rejoicing at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar, the, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for fire. All right. There's a lot in there, and prophecy can be challenging, especially when you're not getting to read through it and and process it and that. But I want to talk about the first five verses here of Isaiah's prophecy. He speaks of walking in darkness, but God's promise to bring light in the midst of it. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, um, when you hear and, and realize God's calling or blessing or direction in life, Quite often, uh, having heard God's calling and direction, we set out in pursuit of accomplishing it, right? We, we muster all our strength and everything we have and everything we know to do to try to accomplish God's will. You know, uh, this, this church planting journey has been an interesting process because having, having received and, and clearly felt God's calling into this community and into starting something new as a church. Naturally, you rally all the resources and ideas that you have, and you move forward with them. See, but what's pivotal, uh, as we'll see in this Isaiah passage, is that hope always remains in God. That the source of our hope, the source of any success, the source of God's mission being accomplished, always remains God's. 
right? So there's this fascinating balance as we consider hope, as we consider God's calling, as we consider bringing about goodness in which we are invited to participate in the process, but ultimately God is responsible. God is our hope, and God is leading these processes, right? So Isaiah speaks of this darkness, but he speaks of a time in which light is coming, in which there will be joy in the nation and rejoicing. And he speaks in verse 4, for in the days of Midian's defeat. Now, to an Israelite 2,700 years ago, there we go, back up one one slide if we can, um, or or the previous part of the verse. So in... um, Oh, where's the mention of Midian? Maybe, maybe it is further forward. So to an Israelite, uh, they would immediately know what Isaiah is speaking of in the context of, of Midian's defeat, okay? So it's a story found in Judges 6, and I'd encourage you to go back and read it, but I'm just going to summarize it because we need to be hearing what the Israelite people would have been hearing as, as Isaiah mentions Midian's defeat. There's a man named Gideon. Uh, living in the in the nation of Israel back uh, in in uh, the story that Isaiah is referencing, and the Israelite people are living again in exile. They're living up in the hills and in the rocks, uh, away from the promised land that they had received, uh, because a nation of Midian with its many armies, a conglomeration of actually many nations' armies, represented this nation of Midian, and and it had taken over the land, and the Israelites are hiding and scared, and barely surviving. And so an angel comes to this man, Gideon, and he's, he's farming, and he says, great warrior, God is going to lead you. He says, the Lord is with you, great, great warrior. This man, Gideon, he, he responds with just like the perfect and practical response. He says, uh, pardon me, Lord, uh, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, I think that's a fascinating question that's worth resonating on, because when things get difficult in life, isn't it really easy to say, but if God were really good, well, then this wouldn't be happening, right? If God were really with me, this illness wouldn't have fallen on me or or a loved one. If God were really with me, I wouldn't have lost my job. Right? The, the, Gideon asks the perfect and practical question that we all struggle with in, in low, in difficult seasons in life. He says, but if God's with us, then why would this happen? The angel says, I want you to rally the troops of Israel because God is changing the circumstances here. And so Gideon does. He rallies the people from the mountains and, and the hills, and, and he calls together the, the outliers from, from the cities surrounding the region and he pulls together an army of 20-something of thousand people. And, and, and they look down over the hill to where the, Midian's, uh, the Midian army is. And it's described like their camels are as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I mean, just a vast, vast army. And he's got, you know, some 20,000 people at his disposal. And God comes to him and he says, Gideon, your army's too big. And Gideon says, what are you talking about? No, he says, your army is too big. And so Gideon says to the army, anyone who's fearful, anyone who's trembling with fear, you can go home. And so 22,000 people leave. God comes back to him and he says, okay, Gideon, here's the problem. Your army is still too large. You are still going to think that you accomplished this by yourself. And so God says, here's, here's the test. Here's what I want you to do. Take them to the water, and those that scoop the water with their hands and lap it like a dog, 
Those are the ones you keep in your army, which I don't get. Like, nothing about lapping water like a dog sounds like a warrior to me, but I, I just, I don't know exactly what's God, what God's working with here. But, um, but this, this was the test, right? And, and so, um, so 300 men are left. God, God has made very clear to Gideon, uh, the, the victory today against the hundreds of thousands or millions of people you face will be at, at my hands and not a victory you will claim for yourself. And, and of course, yes, this is a story that Israel tells over and over. In the passage we're reading from Isaiah today, he's again referencing, remember what God did against the armies of Midian. And so this man Gideon, this is confusing because Gideon and Midian sound so much alike, but this man named Gideon, um, so he rallies everything they have. He's got 300 men, and he says, okay, uh, we've got some clay pots, uh, we've got uh, some torches, and it turns out we've got a bunch of instruments. So I want everyone to grab a trumpet, a clay pot, and a torch. And here's what we're going to do. Just do it with me. So they walk down to the edge of the camp. Now, now Gideon had, 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 uh, had gone down to the camp earlier. God said, I know you're scared, but go listen to this. And, and he had snuck down and he had listened to the conversations at the edge of the camp where people are saying, truly God has given our nation over to Israel. Gideon will defeat us. So, so the army down there was vast, but trembling with fear. And, and so Gideon gathers his resources, his trumpets, his clay pots, his, uh, his torches, and his 300 men. And they go down to the edge of the army. And, uh, and all at once, they blow their trumpets and they break their clay pots on the ground. And a, a fearful stampede begins amongst the enemy army, right? They, they, they scream and they run, they abandon their posts. And as they do, imagine how they begin to push the entire army with them. The, the people, you know, a, a few hundred yards back, sleeping in their tents, they have no clue what they're facing, and God defeats the entire army. The entire uh, Midianite army flees that day, uh, slaughtering each, each other in the process, and then the villages around come to retake the land and, and to take over the army. You see, on that day that, that Isaiah mentions here, God made very clear, uh, when you seem to be without resource, at the lowest and the darkest of seasons in life, when it seems by all practical terms we have no hope, you see, God's supernatural power is far greater than whatever power we can muster in and of ourselves. And we like that message, right? As followers of Jesus, we like that message. That makes us feel good. But in the practical day-to-day moments in our life, I want to I propose that that's a really hard one to take in. Like, I still find myself wanting to muster anything and everything I can find. I don't reduce the size of army or, or reduce my capacity to accomplish a task so that God can be glorified. I mean, how often do we think in terms of God as our hope in the midst of the darkness? So let's, let's get back to Isaiah chapter 9. He said, but there is light coming in the midst of this darkness. Remember what God did in Midian. And we remember what God did with the armies of Midian. And, and Isaiah says, your hope does not resi- rest in you alone. And he says, a time of peace is coming, which is an interesting contrast to the story of the war against Midian. But he says, all those boots that your warriors are wearing and all those garments that are rolled in blood, he said, those will be burned because those are no more. 
God is bringing about a season of peace. And here's his solution in verse six. He says this, uh, for a child is born, to us a son is given. What a a fascinating hope and explanation. From, From a warrior like Gideon, from miraculous and incredible things uh, accomplished on the battlefield, here's, here's what Isaiah says to a hurting and broken and lost people. He says, take heart because a child is going to be born. And they say, hold on, we are without resource, we are in exile and hardly surviving, and you're telling us there'll be one more mouth to feed. Great, Isaiah. Thanks a lot for the message of hope, right? But Isaiah says, no, the hope for Israel comes in this form. The hope comes in a child who is to be born. And it continues in verse 6, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we've read today uh, one of Isaiah's prophecies uh, about a Messiah, about a hope to come, a, a hope for a nation broken and in darkness, a hope that revolves around this child who will be born. And today we remember a child who will be born. Jesus, who would come and, and who, would, um, who would defeat violence by becoming the subject of Rome's violence, right? We, we resonate on the story of Jesus as he took the violence of Rome and in doing so conquered the power that violence has. He conquered sin by taking sin upon himself, dying on a cross. We remember this child who grew up and and died on a cross and conquered death by dying and raising again. We, We resonate today on this child who would usher in a kingdom that is utterly different than the kingdoms of the world were or than the way the world so often operates today. Instead, Jesus, who is ushering in a reign of peace, a reign without sin, a reign of restoration, a reign of nearness to God, a reign of hope. That's what Isaiah said to the people on that day that we read in Isaiah 9. He said, a son will be born and something new will be ushered in. There is a new hope. What seems hopeless in natural terms, remember, is nothing compared to God's supernatural power and ability. And so today, as, as the season of Advent begins, we look to Isaiah to hear from him a message of hope, that there is hope. And each of us comes today in a different circumstance of life. Some of us hurting over relationships in our families, some of us hurting uh, in, in our workplaces, some of us hurting in whatever different, different way. And we try desperately today to hear this message of hope from Isaiah. We try desperately, even in the midst of the darkness and the struggles, to say, but there is still hope. My hope will be rooted in something bigger than my resources. My hope will be rooted in something far beyond my ability to fix this broken relationship or problem or thing that I face. 
But instead, my hope will be rooted in something eternal. And according to Isaiah, it was that a son will be born. And so today, in the season of Advent, we begin this this season of hopefulness that leads up to the birth of a child. We begin to process, how does it change my, my life, the way I operate? How does it bring new hope in my life to know that a son is coming? This word hope, it's far more than a wish. It's a hopeful expectation. You know, it's an expectation that is lived out in significant ways in our lives. Hope is more than a wish. It's an expectation that's lived out. So if truly I am to believe that Jesus would be born, if truly I am to believe that he is revolutionizing this world, if truly I am to believe that he will come again and finish that process, well, then it changes the way I live in this world. It changes the way I operate. It changes where I find my source of hope. I continue to live into the things that will bring about God's mission. I continue to participate in the good things that God is doing, but my hope does not rest on my own ability. My hope rests on a God who is good, who has sent his son and is sending his son again, who is restoring and changing this world. First Peter 1.3, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has, uh, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Speaks here of a hope. And not just a hope that's far off or not just a hope that happened in Jesus, but a living hope. I hope we'll take hold of those words right there, this, this idea of a living hope. That, that I live into, that lives amongst me, that, that no circumstance in life can overpower this hope because it is alive and it is well and it is working in us and amongst us, in and amongst our community, in and amongst the world. There is a living hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Now, Scripture speaks repeatedly to, to this hope. And, and so this morning as we begin our Advent season, um, we're going to light the first of four candles. And this, as, we, as Sarah lights this candle, um, we're going to remember uh, a hope, a hope that's not rooted in ourselves, but instead is rooted in, in Jesus. And, and after we light this candle, remembering this hope that, uh, that we've found in Jesus, we'll watch a short clip, a few more verses that speak of this hope. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice 
in the hope of the glory of God. And hope does not put us to shame. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want to consider this. Most of us come here today in one of two positions. Either in a season of darkness and struggle, uh, in which the message of hope, well, it resonates in our lives. We say, I can find strength in God. I believe in Jesus. And in that, I can find increased hope. So, so if, if you come here um, feeling weak and broken and feeling unable to accomplish the things because the task is far greater than the resources at our hands, take heart today knowing that we live into a living hope, a God who has worked and is working and will continue to work in this world. There's a hope greater than us in this world, and that should be good news. That should be good news to us. But some of us come here today in a season of affluence where we're not feeling that desperation that so often drives us towards God and forces us into a position of of accepting his hope because I can't do it. And I just want to propose to those of us here today that are not in that season of darkness to consider seriously where our hope lies. Does my hope lie in the security of my job? Does my hope lie in a particular relationship? Does my hope lie in the money I have in savings? Right? There's a lot of places that our hope can reside today. But I want to challenge each of us today to lean into the hope found in God. I was, I was thinking about this idea of hope and where does my hope lie. And I was resonating on the way we can be so high and then something happens, right? It could be any number of things and we find ourselves so low. And I was convicted this week by the fact that the reason I'm able, the, the reason that I do sink so low in seasons when crisis comes likely is because in the season that was good, I was misplacing my hope. Does that, does that make sense to anyone? Like, if I live so much of my life convinced that my hope and all this goodness is from my finances or my job or a friend or my spouse, which are all good things, none of them to be re- necessarily rejected. However, if my hope rests in those things and one of those things falls out from under me, what do I have left? So I want to invite us all in, in any season of life today to resonate on a hope that is eternal to resonate on a hope that is found in Jesus, a hope that is found in the fact that he was born, that he continues to work in the world today, and that he is coming again. Friends, let's let that be our hope. And in the week to come, as we face goodness and we as we face adversity, let's remember a hope that is eternal and found in Jesus. Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to uh, dig into your word. Father, to continue, uh, to, to consider the season uh, of expectation for Jesus. Father, this morning to listen to Isaiah as he speaks of a hope that's found in a child. Father, help us to know hope. Father, help us to know what it is to live into a hope far greater than ourselves 
but a hope that you have provided for us and has eternal consequence. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. And Father, for the doubts that we have right now, for the questions that we have, for for the, the struggles that still remain in our faith this morning, Father, will you just give us an extra measure of, of awareness of, of you? Father, will you give us just that next little bit of hope that propels us into beautiful things in the week, in the months to come? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining us here this morning. Uh, I hope it's been encouraging. We live um, uh, in a broken world, but with a very good God who is bringing about hope. I invite you to live into hope as the week unfolds.